I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Money Talks on Economist Radio. I'm Tamsin Booth, The Economist's Britain business editor. The City of London is the world's biggest centre of international finance, but Brexit threatens to cut the city off from its largest and most important single foreign market, the EU. In this show, we're asking, can the city survive Brexit in anything like its current form? Looking up at the city's skyline with its crowd of concept skyscrapers, the walkie-talkie, the shard, the cheese grater, there's no sign that its position at the top is under threat. But down at street level, the mood is different. Brexit will make it harder to conduct business here in the financial services industry, so you would think that some jobs would be moved and probably would not be recovered. It's been a long week for an interview. It's a lot of uncertainty. It is a worry that we don't get taken seriously. Hopefully, just in the short term. Uh, work, it's an absolute nightmare. Complete, absolute nightmare. All we do is plan for things that we can't work out if it's going to be relevant or not. Since Theresa May made leaving the single market a red line after the Brexit referendum in 2016, regulators and firms on both sides of the channel have been scrambling to prepare for a deeply uncertain future. We'll be finding out just how much the city stands to lose. What we host in in London, in the city, is a great global sector made up of global players. Um, They don't have to be here. And as London suffers, whether other cities might see the benefit. No other place has gained and will gain more of it than Frankfurt. The future is bright. But first, to fully understand the scale of this change, we need to get a sense of London's position in the global financial landscape. Patrick Fowles is our business affairs editor, who has also covered Wall Street for us for a long time. Hello, Patrick. Hi, Tamsin. Patrick, from from where I stand, London is still very much at the summit when it comes to truly global financial centres. It has long been number one in the the main league table of these things published by Zedian. It has only just slipped to number two. Can you give us an an overview of the relative strength of financial hubs around the world as as things are now? The starting point is just how concentrated uh, sort of capital markets activity is. So really, I think there are four big places that matter. There's Wall Street, there's the city, uh, there's Hong Kong and the Singapore. And um, Wall Street is still basically very US centric, although there are lots of global firms headquartered there. Hong Kong has become more China-centric over the last 20 years for obvious reasons. Singapore um, tends to do a lot of the the rest of Asia and and India as well, but it has more of a bias towards asset management. And then you've got London, which clearly serves Europe, but also has a rather unique role as, as probably the most truly global of them all. So if you look at something like currency trading, about 40% of it uh, worldwide is done in London, which is is an incredible figure if you start thinking about it. It really 
is. And within Europe, the city is about as central to the bloc's financial operations as it possibly could be. So the EU27 gets a quarter of all financial services from London. The city generates and clears almost four-fifths of all European foreign exchange deals by value. About 90% of European interest rate swaps are cleared through London. If you look at one of the, the most crucial central banking operations that we've had. When the ECB was at the height of quantitative easing, it really relied on banks and financial institutions based in London. Um, One of the people I've been speaking to, the European Commission's Director General for Financial Stability, Olivier Garçon, he compares the city to a pumping financial heart for the EU, the only heart they have. And he's a, he's a man who loves metaphors. So he also says that London relies on EU 27 blood so that there is really mutual reliance. And certainly the EU 27 loves to talk up Britain's economic dependence on the demand from Europe for financial services. Can you lay out where the specific vulnerabilities are for, for, for London? It, it does a vast range of things from you know shipping insurance to um, IPOs of tech companies. Which are the the kind of key areas where London might take a beating over the next few years? Well, anything but the the softest Brexit will mean leaving the single market. And the first thing that means is losing something vital called passporting. These rights allow financial firms in any EU country to sell in in any other and have been the foundation of the city's expansion into Eurozone trading. Then, of course, there's what businesses have chosen to do. So you've got a whole set of decisions that the the city is facing about whether those banks will stay there or take business off to New York or elsewhere. And then you've got the more specific risk of of the EU27 using location policy. And this is what financial professionals are, are, are really worried about. So this isn't going to happen in the first two or three or, you know, but we're, we're looking sort of around five years out. There's quite a few ways in, in which you could get business dragged back into the EU27. So the first one is clearing. Uh, the second one is share trading. So it's quite clear that EU27 regulators want an end to trading of European shares in the City of London by EU firms. And that stance is really hardening as we speak. So that's quite a near-term threat. Another one is to is to risk management. So the current frequent practice is that you strike your deal wherever and then you back-to-back your risk to London using internal trades. It's very efficient because you, you manage your risk all in one place. But um, the, the idea is that you know, centres like Paris and Frankfurt really want the risk managed um, on-site. Sort of further down the line, risk is about asset management delegation. This is where you have your funds domiciled in one location, but you have your fund managers, your stock pickers, your your sort of star fund managers in London. And it's become a real mark of quality to have funds managed out of London. And which of those four things you've highlighted do you think is is most important? I think potentially the asset management delegation is the the threat that fills most people with most dread. And that's the sort of key decision makers who who are really deciding where capital is allocated, drifting out of London. And there's this sense really in London of whether critical mass across a whole range of activities can be maintained. That's really the key, isn't it? As small things are chipped away, that at some point there's a, a kind of tipping point 
and, and London loses that, that sort of sense of concentrated activity that makes it so efficient to use. Yes, that's right. I mean, it's the, the, the city has built up very organically over a long period of time. And so there's the, the, as, as one person put it to me, there's no sort of blueprint for how to dismantle bits of it without damaging others. So it's all really quite unpredictable. My firm is large and it's had to make uh, quite extensive plans for Brexit. Uh, as a result, it's planned for the worst. I would say every process is just still going to be there. It's just more documents need to be completed. I think there's already been things put in place that they've worked on quite quickly. So I, I think it will be OK. The single market has been very important to us and certainly it has uh, encouraged a lot of trade, but it's not the only thing that makes London a leading financial centre. Catherine McGuinness is in charge of policy at the City of London Corporation. That's the municipal body that governs the square mile. She's convinced that even outside the single market, the city will keep enough of its magic formula to thrive. It's very easy with our worries about Brexit to overlook those, but we absolutely have... uh, great strengths in the ecosystem that we've got here, Uh, you know, even as simple as the time zone, the language and our common law framework. So we have great strengths on which to build. But this confidence is tempered by concern at a lack of concrete proposals for how to maintain business as usual. Do you know, at the moment, I think the biggest problem we have is uncertainty and the fact that this uncertainty has been going on for so long. We've seen people make arrangements so that they can carry on serving their customers on day one post-Brexit. We've seen institutions set up operations in in other EU cities. We haven't yet seen a big shift of jobs and we haven't yet seen a significant move of of business, but uh, the uncertainty is really causing people challenges. What I am worried about, although the big institutions are ready as far as they can be, I'm really worried that some of the smaller institutions and businesses haven't yet taken steps to ensure they're Brexit ready because of the uncertainty and because they don't know what they're planning for. Uh, So I would say I haven't seen too many preemptive steps. I haven't seen enough action is what I would say. In the absence of a deal, the City of London Corporation is encouraging firms to prepare for the worst. Well, what we're really afraid of is a no deal exit on acrimonious terms. I think that would be a very poor outcome for the UK. What we'd really like to see is a managed process um, which gives time to move very carefully through the complexities of Brexit and uh, you know, a, a positive approach to our relationship with our EU partners uh, for the future, because whatever happens, we're going to remain Europe's largest global financial centre, even if we're not within the EU. It is certainly true that the size of Britain's domestic financial services market ensures a future, but it is the international business that will come under pressure. Um, I know a lot of people have been relocating, but... In our firm, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but... At least the amount of people have been relocated. It will be some, somewhere between Netherlands, Munich, Paris. Yeah, we've had to set up an office in uh, Southern Ireland. And fingers crossed, a no deal doesn't happen. Across Europe, other cities are eyeing up Brexit's potential opportunities. Hubertus Feit runs Frankfurt Main Finance, a lobby group for the Eurozone's biggest financial centre. The European financial landscape will beyond any doubt change for good. London will lose some of the business it handles for the continent and no other place has gained and will gain more of it than Frankfurt. 52 financial institutions have decided on Frankfurt to be their new European financial hub. 
These 52, amongst them are four out of the six biggest US banks, four out of the big five biggest Japanese banks, and uh, they, they have very good reasons for that. I would count five of them to be key. A political and economic stability of Germany that's reflected in the AAA rating of the country. Everything is doable in English. You can even file your taxes in English. Third, it will be infrastructure, both physical and digital. Number four is certainly human resources at highly competitive costs and eased labor laws. Amongst them is also the fact that you have a significant number of students from around the globe that are taught in English. So there is a deep pool of labor. And last but not least, Frankfurt is the world's seventh most livable city and uh, by Commonwealths ranked as the number one place in the world to raise children. So people love it. Frankfurt has wasted no time in making sure London financiers with itchy feet know just how much their city has to offer. The city's football club, Eintracht, recently laid on VIP treatment for so-called Brexit newcomers at an UEFA league match against Inter Milan. Yeah, great being here tonight. So what we do here is we welcome newcomers uh, in the financial industry, which are new to Frankfurt. Uh, as you know, Brexit is coming and this is one of the greatest events we have in the city. We're so excited tonight with uh, interviews. They're well aware that they are not the only ones competing for those tempted to leave London. It's been a strong competition. You know, Luxembourg, Dublin and Amsterdam uh, is from a Frankfurt perspective mostly complementary. Why? They attracted very few banks, but quite a few insurance companies and lots of asset managers and some trading venues, particularly the later in the case of Amsterdam. Paris has been the hardest competing with Frankfurt. But, you know, we just recently had the governor of the Paris region, Valérie Pécresse, in Frankfurt. She was advocating a closer cooperation between our both cities, Frankfurt and Paris. This was, by the way, very well received and shows that we were at least on par with one of the leading and most attractive cities in the world, I took that as a compliment for Frankfurt. Meanwhile, in London, Catherine McGuinness is weighing up a double threat. Not just Brexit, but if there's an early general election, the Labour Party may win. Under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn or of John Macdonnell, the party would form Britain's most left-wing government since 1945. It's a prospect the city views with dread. So we'll work with whichever government is in power, but I would ask whichever government is in power to think very carefully about the importance of the services sector and what it contributes to the UK economy and to your ordinary people and their prosperity and well-being. And that goes as much for a, an acrimonious no-deal exit as it does for some of the uh, policies which Labour is suggesting around, for example, financial transactions tax um, or uh, inclusive ownership funds, which, if mishandled, may um, disincentivise international business yet further. We also, of course, need to look at what we can do to encourage the development of new and growing markets. And that might be in particular sectors such as tech and uh, green finance, or it may be in particular areas. And we've been looking, for example, at how to enhance our relationship with the US, but also how to develop deeper links with China, with India, with some of these really rapidly growing economies. What we host in in London, in the city, and actually in other parts of the UK, is a great global sector made up of global players, and they don't have to be here. For some, at least, that decision has already been made. 
Hubertus Fert in Frankfurt. We've seen an influx of people. Frankfurt added last year 3% to its workforce. About 50,000 people moved anew into the wider Frankfurt region. And we had something like over 1 billion euro in additional expenses for professional services in the city, purely Brexit related. We, by the way, expect between 715 to 800 billion euro in assets to end up in Frankfurt. We see about 20 high-rise buildings, both residential and offices, being under construction. And the mood in the city is upbeat. An additional 1,000 places in international schools were created. And the future is bright. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Back in the studio with Patrick Fowles. Patrick, we've just heard strong messages from London and Frankfurt, both projecting confidence and ambition for growth post-Brexit. Let's dig a little into the motivations here. When, when you look at the individual European countries and, and capital cities on the continent, I mean, it seems to be partly a matter of principle that um, they should have sovereignty over their capital markets and, and a sense of control over them, but also a matter of, of greed and, and narrow self-interest as they're desperate to get some of the jobs and tax that the city generates. So how, how do you calibrate those two factors? I think that's absolutely right. It's, it's really a mixture of caution and greed, greed on the behalf of financial centres in the EU27, which, which are already um, obviously very significant. So Paris, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, and if, if you talk to, to city people, it's a sort of open wound, really. I mean, it's, it, this isn't Brexit isn't the first time that the U27 has, has had a problem with the city's dominance. It goes back quite a long time. So on the caution side of things, it's a completely legitimate worry that um, in the event of a financial crisis, it's, it would be very hard um, for, for EU27 regulators to manage that if, if Britain is, is, um, is, is a third country outside the EU27 that can largely do as it likes. But there's undoubtedly a, a strong desire to propel European cities up the league of, of global financial centres. I and mean, Paris especially is, is particularly determined to this because it's, it's had a really strong role in the past. There's also a sort of curious contrast because the European Union is focused on the city which it sees as essential, uh, possibly an attractive thing to drag onto the continent. And yet British politicians, clearly distracted by our own um, national shambles, have not really engaged at all on this issue. And in fact, the city is, is really quite unpopular in Britain. Yes, that's right. I mean, I think, you know, essentially, there's been very little political capital to be gained from helping bankers I mean, post-financial crisis. Obviously, the reputation has not been great. But overwhelmingly, I think the, the, there's a lot of confidence in the city from bankers, and especially sort of British financial 
um, services workers. And the view at the Treasury has, has essentially been that the city is strong enough to cope. And so risks have been taken with its future. And that's why it's so remarkable that what we've now been left with very probably is, is something called equivalence which is neither passporting, which was sort of the gold standard of access to the, to the EU27 market, nor mutual recognition. It's something that the Chancellor has called wholly inadequate. Um, it's piecemeal. It doesn't cover all of financial services. And the real worry is that it can be withdrawn by the European Commission at pretty short notice. Um, and we're seeing a sort of a playing out of the the negative possibilities on that at the moment with with Switzerland. Well, clearly, in an ideal world, Britain would manage to reach a bespoke agreement with the EU over financial services. But let's face it, that just isn't going to happen. Another alternative would be for Britain to, to agree to hand over the governance and regulation of the city to the EU to be run remotely by it. But because the EU's underlying motivation is to try and get activity to shift away from London, I think giving it control over regulation would be unwise uh, from a British perspective. And that leaves you really with some kind of um, independence from the EU. And the question then for London is how uh, deregulated does it want to become? Because, you know, there is this sort of vision of uh, a London where the rules are, are weakened, where the red tape is slashed, where the capital levels are reduced, and it becomes a kind of banking nirvana where anyone who wants to speculate can can come and do business. And I think in reality, um, that's that's not a good option either, probably because it would lose the consent of the British population. So what you're left with, I think, is only one path, and that's um, to, to be independent, but to try and remain fairly closely aligned in the key areas with Europe and try and probably water down the rules a bit, uh, but still be able to say that this system as a whole is low risk and doesn't pose a big problem for the British taxpayer. And that out of really a pretty unappealing menu is, is the option that Britain has. Does that mean that it's positive for Europe? At the end of this, is Europe going to, to, to be a winner and, and benefit in, in some sense? I think cities like Paris, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, particularly Paris, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that they're extremely keen to, to have as much business as they can. But on the other hand, um, I think that a lot of financial institutions have basically decided not to have all of their financial eggs in one basket to the degree that they have with London ever again. So those, um, those hopes for Paris may be frustrated, which means you're stuck with a fragmentation of liquidity um, away from one single deep pool of capital across what um, the EU27 is calling a polycentric system of, of several cities, including Milan, um, Madrid, um, and, and others. So that fragmentation will be costly for, for European firms. So um, according to one figure, for every 10 basis points increase in Eurozone firms' cost of funding, that adds up to 32 billion of extra cost or 0.3% of, of GDP for the region. And I know that there are particular worries about European um, small and medium-sized enterprises, which get really great um, cost of funding now and often don't even know that they're getting that because of London's role um, in the EU28. So is it fair to say that the most likely outcome is that no one wins? Unfortunately, I think that's that's probably right. The city will have to try to keep Europe as close as it can and America too, while also prospecting for new business in other markets in Asia and elsewhere. 
And whoever is in power in Britain after the next election will need to remember that having a global, sophisticated industry of highly paid people is a blessing, not a curse. Thank you for listening to Money Talks. To read more about the impact of Brexit on the city, please take a look at this week's issue of The Economist. If you're not yet a subscriber, you can go to economist.com slash radio offer to get your first 12 issues for $12 or for £12. And if you like our podcasts, one way of supporting Money Talks is to give us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We love to hear from you. I'm Tamsin Booth in the City of London. This is The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.